My name is Matt Carter. It's uh, good to be with you guys again. And um, I'm the pastor preaching here at the Stone, and so it's an honor to be with you live today. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 1. Matthew, chapter 9, verse 1. Um, is there any way, is it possible to like get this light up here? I'm having trouble seeing my notes because I'm old. And uh, if not, I'll just, I'll just deal with it. If not, no big deal. So, but um, Matthew chapter nine, verse one, we're going through the book of Matthew together, verse by verse. And, um, and so today we're in chapter nine. We're going through a series called Fathom. And uh, we're looking at the miracles of Jesus and his power and authority over different aspects of life. And, you know, one of the things I've really enjoyed about studying the miracles in the book of Matthew is that it, it gives us really some incredible insight into the nature of Jesus and to the nature of God. And last week I, I mentioned, um, and I think I was on screen, was I was on screen here last week? Yeah. So last week I, I talked about how every single time in ancient literature when someone was casting out a demon, they always called on a higher authority. They always said, hey, in the name of whatever God they served, I adjure you demon to be cast out. But when Jesus cast out demons, he doesn't call on a higher power. He doesn't call on a higher authority. He just looked at the demon and said, go. And he was proving that, he was doing that to prove that there was no higher power for him to call on, that he's God. And so I love learning stuff like that. You get this picture of, of Jesus' nature. But the other thing I've really enjoyed is, uh, in Matthew, is getting a glimpse of his heart. Getting a glimpse of Jesus. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. Wow, I can see now. Uh, when, I, when I hit 45, it just went downhill. And so um, some of y'all know what that's like. But um, I've really enjoyed seeing Jesus' heart. And, and, and here's the thing. What I mean by that is, when you read the Bible, <clears throat> there's all these different verses in there about how much God loves you. And, and it's one thing to read those and go, okay, that's cool that God loves us. But then, but then in, in Matthew, you actually get a glimpse of seeing Jesus be loving towards people. And for me, that just sort of opens my eyes more. You, you get, you know, we, we get to see Jesus be compassionate we get to see Jesus like be moved to tears over suffering. We get to see Jesus be caring and, and loving towards people. And that gives us this little glimpse into the actual heart of God towards you and me because Jesus is God, which is really, really cool. And so, in, so far in Matthew, Jesus has healed people's diseases you know, showing um, Jesus' authority and power over sickness and illness. We've seen him calm a storm with the sound of his voice. He's showing his power and authority over creation. Last week, we see him cast out a demon with one word, showing his power and authority over evil. And today, we're going to see something that, um, gosh, it's, it's, it's infinitely bigger than that. It's, it's more awe-inspiring than that, and it should be, and that we're going to see Jesus' uh, ultimate authority and power over sin. And, and it shows us, what we're going to see today as we see Jesus' power over sin is that it shows us that Jesus doesn't want to just heal you on the outside, and he does. He doesn't want to just heal your circumstances and your issues, but he wants to move past that. He wants to, he wants to move past your flesh and get down to the root of what is your greatest need, and, 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 and your greatest problem, and that's not your illnesses and it's not your storms, but it's actually your sin. And so let's read this together, Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. <clears throat> Jesus says, in getting into the boat, 
he crossed over, that's the Sea of Galilee, and he came to his own city. So he's cast out the demon-possessed guy on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He gets back in the boat, and he comes back to what we're going to see in Mark is Capernaum, which is Peter's mother-in-law's town. So that's like Jesus' new home, okay? And it says this, it says, Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, in typical Matthew fashion, he just gets right to the point. He said there were some people that brought Jesus a paralytic. But Mark, just like last week, we're going to turn to Mark, same story. But Mark goes into a lot more detail about what's going on in the story. So let's check it out. Don't turn there. Just follow along with me. But Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says that when Jesus returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together. So there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And so Jesus comes back to Capernaum. He, he, you know, after crossing the Sea of Galilee, he's in Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he's preaching. Now, back in the day, there were basically three rooms in every house. You had the main floor, which is where they did all the cooking and stuff, and then you had an upper room, and that's where everybody hung out. And, um, and then you had a third floor, which is the roof. And that's when people, when the sun would go down and it was cooler, they'd go up on the roof, they'd hang out, watch the sunset and stuff. Well, they're in the middle room, they're in the upper room, the second floor, and Jesus is preaching. And there's so many people that are packed in there to hear him preach that they're even flowing out the door, so there's no more room on the second floor. And so that's, that's the situation. In Mark chapter two, verse three, it says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Okay, so Jesus is preaching. Upper room is completely crowded, and there's so much crowd that people are coming out the door, and these four guys, these four men, have a buddy that's paralyzed, and they're trying to get him to Jesus. But when they, when they go up there to the second floor, they can't get in the room because it's packed. They're, he's on a stretcher. They're carrying him, and they can't get him to Jesus. And so watch what they do next in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 4 and said when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Okay, now, if you grew up in church, you heard that story in Sunday school. But I don't know if you ever like stopped and thought about kind of how funny that story is. So let's stop and think about it. Let's get the image in our head for a second. So imagine, for instance, you're in the second floor. You've got a roof above you because the, the roof, you know, where people hang out is above you. Jesus is preaching. It's packed everywhere. There's people. There's people flowing out the door. Jesus is throwing down. He's preaching on something. All of a sudden, you hear this thud, like these big footsteps on the roof. And so Jesus is teaching. He probably stops. Kind of looks up at the ceiling, thinks, what that? What's going on there? But he keeps on preaching. And then all of a sudden, there's a this big kind of thud, right? And some dust starts coming from the roof, you know, from right above Jesus there. And, and I would imagine that every, everybody at that point got really quiet. And then Jesus probably stopped teaching. And everybody's sort of looking up at the ceiling, seeing what's going on. You know, there's more, more racket, more dust. And all of a sudden, someone's hand, psh, comes crashing through the roof. And I would, I would imagine at that point, Jesus sort of puts his hand up to everybody like, let's, let's see what's going on here. Let's check this out. And, um, and so sure enough, more hands come plunging through the roof until there's a hole in the roof about the size of a man. Everybody's quiet. Everybody's watching except probably Peter's mother-in-law who's screaming, I want to know who's going to pay for that, right? You know, this is going to make a great story later on. But right now, somebody messed up my roof. Somebody's going to pay for that. And then, and then all of a sudden, these guys start lowering their buddy 
he's paralyzed. I don't know how they did it, some ropes or something, but they lowered the mat right down at the feet of Jesus. Now, Matthew and Mark don't tell us kind of what Jesus was thinking, but I had to believe that made Jesus smile, right? Because these guys were so determined to get their paralyzed buddy to Jesus, they cut a hole in Peter's mother's roof and, and they lower him down at Jesus' feet. I guarantee you that if that was happening, then Jesus was smiling and thinking that's, that's pretty awesome. And we, and we kind of know that because what we're gonna see next is that little act moved Jesus' heart to action. And so let's look at it together. Matthew chapter nine, verse two. It says, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed. Now watch what it says next. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, okay, so Jesus sees all this happens, happen, and it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, for your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus sees this happen. He's so moved by their faith that before they even say a word, he immediately goes into action, okay? Now, what I'm gonna do today is what we see through that text right there, that one little statement that, and behold, some people brought to him paralytic, laying on the bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. There is so much in that one little verse that teaches us about the heart of God towards us. There's so much that we can learn about how God looks at us and thinks about us and deals with us that it's, it, it's, it's blown my mind this week. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna show you three basic things that we learn about God's heart, heart towards us just from that one sentence. Three points today will be done. <clears throat> Here's the first one. Point number one is that Jesus doesn't wanna heal our bodies, <clears throat> but he wants to heal our hearts. Jesus doesn't wanna just heal our bodies, but he actually wants to heal the greater thing, the more difficult thing, which is our hearts, okay? <clears throat> and so if I were to ask you the question, what is your greatest need in your life right now? Don't shout it out, but how would you answer that? If I were to walk, if we saw each other at, 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 a, at a coffee shop, which I don't go to coffee shops, but if I did, I was there for some reason, and I saw you, and I was like, hey, and I said, hey, what is, what is your greatest need in your life right now? How would you answer that? You know, some of us would say, Matt, honestly, it's finances, times are tough. Um, you know, we're, we're having trouble making ends meet. Our finances are difficult. That, that's probably my greatest need is finances. Some of you, some of you might say parenting skills. So, you know, my, my kid's crazy and, and he's out of control and I don't, know what, I don't know how to parent him. I would love, you know, that's probably my biggest need is parenting skills or whatever. And I'll tell you a quick story. Years ago, we, our, our first child was a typical compliant first child. Um, second child was an artist, Annie. She never got into trouble, um, but she was cool. Third child, crazy. He's, he's like the naked guy. He would run around naked everywhere, and he was always getting into trouble. And um, one time we were looking for Sammy. He's like, I don't know, five, maybe four. We cannot find the kid anywhere in the house. <clears throat> Finally, we go into our bathroom, and this, this is what we find right here. He... He had made himself a bath and uh, was covered in bubbles. And so if you had asked me right after this happened, what is your greatest need? I was, Lord, help me with my child. Amen? Anybody there? That's me. Um, marriage, relationship, you're, you're not connecting with your wife, your husband. Um, you're struggling. You're, um, you're, you're arguing. Things are not going well. They're not what you thought they would be in your marriage. You're like, okay, I might not say this publicly, but that's my greatest need. So maybe your job. You're not employed. You're underemployed. You're not happy. If I were to ask you what your greatest need was, man, I just don't like my job. 
just not happy, it's not fulfilling, I'm not making enough money, whatever. You might say that. Some of you may say your health. You're going through some health struggle, and it stinks. And you go, Matt, that is my greatest need. And so think about this. If you were to come up and to ask this paralyzed man, what is your greatest need, what do you think he would say? He would absolutely say that I can't walk. (laughs) You know, if you were to come to the buddies that obviously knew this guy had a need because they brought him to the feet of Jesus by tearing open Peter's mother-in-law's roof and said, what, have, what is his greatest need? They would say, well, he, he can't walk. He can't even take care of himself. He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. His greatest, most pressing need is for him to be healed of his paralysis. And yet, they go to all this trouble and they lower him down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus obviously sees that this guy is paralyzed. And yet, when they bring him down at the feet of Jesus, the first thing Jesus says is not pick up your mat and walk. But the first thing he says is take heart, my son. He calls him his son, which is really cool. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm the guy that's paralyzed, or if I'm the, the buddies of the dude that just tore open a woman's roof to get them to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, hey, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. I, I don't know about you, but I'm probably thinking, um, wow, like, yeah, Jesus, man, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> you know, thank you, Jesus. Um, yeah, thank you so much for that. But we sort of, I don't know if you noticed, Jesus, but we just got a roof open to get to you. This is, this is something that we've spent a lot of trouble uh, going to to get our friend here, and that's great. I thank you that you forgave his sins and all, but I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, but he can't walk. He's paralyzed. And so we were kind of hoping maybe that you would heal him, right? Now, here's the thing. Same, same thing, if we were to like walk out the doors today and we were to go out on you know, South Austin streets out there and we were to grab 10 pe- people that were non-believers, just didn't believe in God, didn't, you know, maybe they know who Jesus is, but didn't don't know much about his heart and, um, or much of the story, and we were to tell them that story and just sort of end it there, then I would imagine that most non-believers would say, probably 10 out of 10 would say, that's pretty insensitive when you think about it. I mean, that's not exactly very loving. Jesus actually, if he has the power to heal the man's paralysis, his buddy's got a hole through the roof to get him to him, and he doesn't heal him. He just says his sin's forgiven. That's insensitive. That's not very compassionate. That's not very loving. But here's the thing. What the Bible is teaching us through this story is that Jesus was so moved by these men's actions And he was so moved by their faith that he did something that was infinitely more loving, that was infinitely more compassionate for this man than healing his paralysis, he healed his heart. And what the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God is teaching us today, South, is this through the story that all of us here today have a greater need and and we have a, a, a greater problem than than any circumstance that may be happening in our lives, and that is our sin. That's what this story is saying. And so here's a question. Why do I say that? Why do I say that it's an infinitely bigger deal uh, for Jesus to 
forgive his sin? Why is that more loving? Why is that more compassionate than healing a man that can't walk? Why do I say that? And here's the answer. It's for this reason. Because forgiveness of sin is God's greatest gift. Forgiveness of sin is God's greatest gift. Why? Because it meets man's greatest need. Forgiveness of sin is God's greatest gift because it meets your greatest need. Now, I went through the scripture. Don't have the scriptural addresses, but I I made a, a fairly decent list of what sin does to us. What sin does to us. So here it is. Sin is a transgression against God. So he's God, he's in charge, he's holy, he's running the show. And when you sin, it's actually, scripturally speaking, it's a sin against him. He's the one that's been offended. He's the one that's hurting. Even if you sin against somebody else, ultimately the claim of the scripture is that that sin is ultimately against God. Number two, sin sin defiles God's image in man. And it stains his soul with the image of Satan. And so you're created in the image of God. That's who you are. You have his fingerprint on your soul and your life and your heart. And when you sin, it mars that image and sort of stamps you with the image of Satan. It goes on. Sin affects the total person. Sin affects the body. It affects the soul. It affects the mind. It affects the spirit. Sin also brings men under the dominion of Satan. And, and makes them, scripture says, by nature, children of wrath. And so when you sin, you become under the dominion of Satan and you are by nature children of wrath. Sin subjects man to trouble. It subjects him to emptiness, lack of peace, and ultimately eternal hell. If not, if repentance doesn't come of that sin and you turn to Jesus for salvation. And so listen, paralysis is a big deal. <laughs> paralysis is really, 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 really bad. It's, it's horrible, actually. I have a friend that's paralyzed, and it is horrible, but what the Scripture is teaching us here, what the Bible is teaching here, teaching us here is that so bleak and so horrific is the picture of sin and its effects in our lives that the best news that you can ever hear is not, hey, I'll give you a raise. The best news you can ever hear is, is not, hey, I'll make your kids be obedient. The best news you'll ever hear in your life is not, hey, I'll I'll get your spouse to repent and be nice to you. It's not, hey, um, I'll give you a new job. And it's not even, hey, you can pick up your mat now and walk. But the greatest news that you'll ever hear, the best news you can ever receive is take courage, my son or my daughter, because your sins are forgiven. It's the greatest news you'll ever hear. And a lot of times... I've, I've sort of seen this in my life. I've seen it in people in the church. We come to Jesus for things primarily what, that we want him to fix. You know, we come, to, we come to him with help for all that stuff that I mentioned, jobs, family, health, and we should. We should do that, absolutely. If anything, we see through this series and fathoms, he's got the power and the authority to heal that stuff, and we need to come to him with that. I'm actually gonna end the sermon today with that. We need to come to him with that stuff, but he's teaching us here that if he does that, but if in the process, he doesn't fix our hearts. It's like, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a malignant tumor. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a tumor. If Jesus were to just heal this guy's paralysis, but he doesn't change his heart, he doesn't heal his sin, yes, he'd have his legs, but his heart would not have been changed. In church, that would have been the most unloving thing Jesus could have ever done. And so again, Jesus is showing us here 
is that the greater gift and the greater treasure, even than being able to walk, is him. Now, let me ask you this. If you had something in your life that was messed up, right, it was messed up, some of you do, and you ask God to heal it, and, and he said, no, I'm not going to do that, but in the process, I'm going to completely win your heart. And you're going to just, in the process, I'm not going to heal whatever circumstance, but you're going to fall madly in love with me. But you're going to have to keep that thing. Would you receive that as love? <clears throat> that's, a, that's, a, that's a question you need to get to the bottom of. Because what I've seen, and it's in Scripture, and I've seen it in a hundred times, is that, that God actually allows sometimes difficult things to stay in our lives to reveal to us and to heal in us the deeper problem, which is our sin. And, and I've seen far too many people over the years that they walk through these trials, they walk through these tragedies, and they ask God for deliverance and healing, and when he doesn't give it to them, then they run from him, and what that reveals and what that shows all along is that these are people that wanted what Jesus had to offer, but at the end of the day, they didn't want Jesus. And I've also seen people walk through tragedy, walk through suffering, walk through horrible stuff, and they beg God for deliverance, and for whatever reason, he doesn't do it, but in the process, he wins their hearts. In the process, they draw near to Jesus, and you'll inevitably hear them say something to the effect of, you know, the Lord brought me to the desert to win my heart, and I'm thankful that he did. Um, you know, uh, I, 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 in, the, in the process of this, I lost everything, but I gained Jesus, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Tim Keller wrote this, just a little quote here. He's speaking about this story. And he said, what Jesus is saying to this man is, you think you know what you really need, but you don't. I'm not going to play a rotten practical joke of giving you the deepest desire of your heart until I change the deepest desire of your heart so that it's me. And then and only then, then and only then can you know a little bit of what paradise is. I love that quote because here's his point, is that Jesus can give you every desire of your heart, church. He can change all your difficult circumstances, but if you miss him in the process, you've missed everything. All right, so let's, let's keep going here. That's point number one. Point number one, Jesus doesn't just want to heal our bodies. He wants to heal our hearts. And number two, Jesus is aggressive with his grace. He's aggressive with his grace. Matthew chapter nine, verse two. Um, Andre, I'm so glad you're saying amen. One of the things I, I told, uh, Andre's my friend, uh, one of the things I told when I, when I preached you guys a couple weeks ago, I said, I said, man, South Congregation, I love them. They were amazing. They were incredible people, but they're really quiet when I preach, and I thought I stink. I thought I stunk. I thought I was bombing, and, uh, and so I was ready to quit and retire um, when I got off the stage, but then afterwards, they were like, a bunch of people were really nice and said great sermon and stuff, and so, so thankful. Thank you, Andre, for like, I'm not bombing here. This is resonating. Man, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, there you go. Thank you. See, y'all are in there. Y'all are just hiding. That's what it is. So point number two, Jesus is aggressive with his grace. <clears throat> Matthew 9, 2. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed. Now watch this. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now me, to me, that's a fascinating part of the Bible. Because when these guys lower their paralyzed buddy at the feet of Jesus, Matthew tells us that he saw 
their faith. He saw their faith. And he just instantly forgave their sins. Now here's why I say it's fascinating because every other place in the entire Bible that I can find, whenever forgiveness of sin is offered, it's always preceded by repentance. Every time I can find it, it's always, there's always repentance there. But here, there doesn't seem to be this obvious outward expression of repentance before Jesus offers forgiveness of sin. This, this guy does, he lowers him down. The dude doesn't say a word. The buddies don't say a word. Um, and Jesus just looks at him and said, take courage. Your sins are forgiven. And so the obvious question is, is like, is there some kind of contradiction here in the Bible? You know, Matthew and Mark, they obviously read the rest of the scripture. So are they trying to contradict what the scripture here says that repentance doesn't need to proceed forgiveness? That's not it at all. They're actually showing us something really awesome about Jesus. So I want you to hear this carefully. Look at the text one more time. Matthew 9, 2, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Listen, Jesus forgave that dude, not based on the posture of his words, but on the posture of his heart. He, he, didn't, he didn't see what the guy had to say and then forgive him. He just saw his heart and forgave him. And, and, and I think we, we, we need to remember, we need to remember, you and I need to remember that, that, that Jesus knows what we're thinking. He knows our motivations. And even when our mouths are, are too weak to speak or maybe even we're paralyzed and we can't speak, he knows the posture of our hearts. And so there must have been sort of some unspoken, inarticulated desire for grace and mercy in this guy because Jesus gives him forgiveness when the guy didn't even say a word. That's beautiful. Gosh, that's so comforting when you stop and you think about that for two seconds. So that was, that was the big aha, golly, Jesus, your beautiful moment for me this week. It shows us that Jesus is so gracious He's so eager to embrace you. He's so eager to receive you. He's so eager (laughs) to pardon you that he responds even to like little fragmentary, invisible, imperfect expressions of our dependence on him and his needs in our heart that we can't even express with our words. That's beautiful. It's amazing. One, one commentator put that. That's why I used that for point number two. Jesus is aggressive with his grace. He's aggressive with his grace. I used to think that Jesus sat back in heaven with his arms folded. And he's perfect. He's God. He'd be like, hey, get your stuff together. Fix your stuff. Get right. Be right. And then maybe I'll give you my grace and mercy. That is not what happens in this story. Jesus was so ready. He's on a a hair trigger, so ready to forgive this guy that he was looking for the slightest opening. He was looking for the smallest window in our hearts to receive him. And when he saw it, he pours out the full measure of his grace and his forgiveness on us. I get that as a dad. That makes, actually makes sense to me. My son, JD, he's um, shared last week, I think. I can't remember. I need to quit talking about him. But he was, um, he's freshman at a when he was five and my daughter, Annie, was three. 
we gave JD um, a baseball bat. And if you're a parent looking for advice, don't do that, all right? And so we gave him a baseball bat. I was hoping he'd be the next great baseball player. And he would run around the house swinging the bat. And so my wife would threaten his life. They were like, you cannot swing the bat in the house. Go outside to swing the bat. So he's like, okay. So he'd go outside and he'd swing the bat. Well, Annie, my three-year-old daughter, for some reason, I don't know what my wife was doing to this day. I don't know what she was doing. We haven't talked about that. But my three-year-old daughter goes out. This happened in the front yard. My three-year-old daughter walks out. And J.D. was, um, I had gotten him a little baseball thing that wraps around the tree and he could just hit it. And Annie walked up behind him right as he swung, missed the baseball, hit her right in the mouth, knocked out her two front teeth instantly. Annie, three-year-old Annie, comes running in the house. Blood is gushing out of her face. So she's holding her mouth and blood is pouring and my wife lost her mind. Can you imagine your three-year-old gut just blood's coming out that was my wife screaming bloody murder runs to Annie picks her up what happened JD to bed you know and and JD is in there he's white as a sheet he knows his life's over he's like it's it it's over that's it it's been a good run and and then you know she gives JD in her anger she gives JD the 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 inevitable wait till your dad gets home right and so Jennifer calls me she's Balling, and his teeth are knocked out. She's never gonna get married, you know, and all this stuff. And, and uh, they they grew back. She's really pretty, actually, unfortunately. And uh, I was kind of hoping that'd last, but it didn't. And um, and I so I I was like, okay. So I packed up my stuff. I was at the church office. Drove home. Took me about thirty minutes. And and um, and when I got into the house, and I walked into the door, and JD was sitting on the couch. He's five. He's this tall. And I, I see his face, and he is obviously sad. And he's obviously terrified. And he's obviously remorseful. And as soon as I walked in and opened the door, I saw him. He looks, our eyes meet. True story. He jumps up on the couch, stands up on the cushion of the couch, and screams at the top of his lungs, Dad, it was an accident! Screams it at the top of his lungs. And I... When I saw him, when I saw his face, when I saw the fear, when I saw the sadness, I immediately just ran to him. And I put my arms around him. And I just started comforting him, you know. And here's the thing. I want, I want you to hear this. What moved my heart towards him in compassion was that moment was not his words. Were not the words, Dad, it was an accident. I was moved, compassion for him, because I saw the condition of his heart. Before words ever came out of his mouth, I saw this kid didn't mean to do that. He didn't want to do that. And I ran to him and I comforted him. And that's what the story is showing us about Jesus, which is just cool. And I, you know, I know there are enough people here today that are here, and, and maybe you're not a, a follower of Christ, and you're here for some reason, and that's awesome. We're so glad you're here. And maybe the reason that you've never really, like, become a Christian or trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior is not that you don't believe in God, but you have maybe a wrong view of God. Um, you have this image in your head that you're not good enough or that God wants you to clean yourself up or that you have to be a certain way before God will love you. 
or that you could be in a relationship. If God's real and he's who he says he is, then I know that I could not be in a relationship with him because I know me. Or maybe you're here and, and you're a Christian and you, you, you keep messing up and you don't know why. And, you know, you, you, you've reached the point where you're like, man, I don't know if God could love me anymore. I don't know if, if there's like a line that I could cross that maybe he won't forgive me anymore. And this story just sort of puts that to rest. It does. It puts it to rest. It just it blows it away. It, it shows us that Jesus is eager to love you. Can you just hear that? I need to hear it. He's eager to love you. It shows us that no matter what our condition is, if you come to him with the smallest amount of faith, he blows the opening away and pours in his love. That's Jesus. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Messed me up this week. I needed to hear that. Point number one, Jesus doesn't want to just heal our bodies. He wants to heal our hearts. It's the bigger thing. Jesus is aggressive with his grace. That's really good news. Last one, short sermon today. Jesus performing the greater miracle ought to produce in us greater faith. Jesus, Jesus performing the greater miracle of healing our sin ought to produce in us greater faith for the little stuff is what, what I'm trying to say today. So after Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, I want you to watch the scribe's response. So Jesus looks at this dude. He says, your sins are forgiven. That's the first thing he says to him, and there's some scribes in the room, which are the Jewish law guys. I want you to watch their response because that freaked them out when he said, your sins are forgiven. That blew their minds in a bad way. Matthew 9, 3. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. The scribes are like, whoa. And their minds are like, whoa. That's blasphemy. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? So in the scribes' mind, and this makes total sense to me why they would think that. In the scribes' mind, these are the experts of the Jewish law. These are the ones that supposedly knew God. And here's this carpenter from Nazareth <laughs> that not only is healing people, but the dude just looked at a guy and said, your sins are forgiven. Now, y'all think about that for a second, what that means. Jesus is basically saying, oh, yeah, I'm God. Who, who can forgive sins? That would be like if my friend Andre came over and punched my friend Jeff, and I looked at Andre and said, you're forgiven. You can't do that unless you're God. Jeff has to forgive Andre, not me. And so Jesus shows up and says, hey, your sins are forgiven. And he's basically saying, I'm God. And the, and the scribes are like, what? You can't do that. You've lost your mind. You can't say your sins are forgiven. You're crazy. I want you to watch Jesus' response. It's interesting. In Matthew 9, 5, he says, for which is easier? He looks at him. He knows their thoughts. He says, hey, guys, he asked him a question. He says, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk. Which one of those is easier? And then 9.6, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, so in order to show you that I am God, in order to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And in verse 7, it says, and he rose and went home. So here's the deal. Here's what just happened. Jesus forgives the guy's sin. 
best gift he could ever give him. Scribes freak out because they think he's blaspheming because he basically just said he's God. God. And then Jesus looks at him and says, hey, let me ask you guys a, a question. What do you think is easier for me to do? Which one of those do you think is easier? Do you think it's easier for me to tell the guy to get up and walk or do you think it's easy for me to forgive sins? And so then he says, he just asked him a question. He says, to show you, to show you that I have the power to do the harder thing, which is to forgive sins, I'm gonna do the easier thing, which is to heal the guy. To show you that I have the power to do the infinitely harder thing, I'm gonna do something I don't even have to break a sweat to do, which is heal him. Here's his point. Jesus performed the easier miracle, which was healing the guy, to show to them that he had the power to do the infinitely harder miracle, which is to forgive sins. That's what he's showing. It's a lot harder to forgive sins, guys, than it is to heal people. Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, me healing this guy, that's nothing. That's nothing. But me leaving heaven, putting on your flesh, living a perfect life, free from sin, walking to the cross, being crucified, hanging there in utter agony for six hours, being separated from the heavenly father as I become your sin and my blood pour out to pay as atonement for your sin, that's the real miracle. That's the real miracle, that's the hard part. And so Jesus does the easy miracle, get up and walk, to show us that he has the power to do the greater one, which is to forgive our sins. That's why when the disciples cast out the demons and they're freaking out, they're pumped, they're high-fiving, they're hugging each other, like we did it. We cast out demons, bring it in, break it out, let's go, we cast out demons. And Jesus, guys, Jesus says, guys, chill, chill. Like don't rejoice that the demons obey. That's nothing. He says, rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because that's the big deal. That's what he's saying. Okay. Here's what I took away from this. Almost done. Quarter page of notes. Here's what I took away from this. Our problem is actually the opposite of the scribes. Our problem is the opposite of the scribes. Our problem is not that we don't believe that Jesus can forgive sins. Our problem is we don't believe Jesus can heal cancer. We don't. Our problem is not that we don't believe Jesus can save us from hell. We actually believe that. Our problem is we don't really deep down inside think that Jesus can heal our marriages and our jobs. Our problem is not that that we don't believe that he has the authority and the power to remove the penalty of sin from our eternity. Our problem is that we don't think in our minds that Jesus actually has the power and authority to heal the sin struggles that we struggle with every day of our lives. I mean, y'all with me? You get cancer, you get some sickness, you get something, and that's this huge deal in our brains for Jesus to heal us. We lose a job, have a rebellious child, struggle with loneliness. Life's falling apart, marriage is falling apart, and we come to Jesus thinking it's this big, stinking deal for him to heal it, but we forget that he's already done the infinitely greater miracle which is healing us of our sin and saving us from from our sin. Guys, on the cross, hear this today, I'm done. On the cross, Jesus performed the greatest miracle in the history of the world. And because we know that, should it not produce in us a greater faith for him to do what was for him the small stuff? That's what I want you to take away. 
And so if there's anything in your life right now that you're like, yep, I need Jesus to heal. If you're a believer here today, he healed your sin already. (laughs) That's the big stuff. Anything else is the small stuff. And so let the fact that he heals you, the big stuff, let it produce faith in you that he can heal the small stuff. And what we see in this story is that faith moves the heart of God. Let's pray. I want you to bow your heads. um, Close your eyes as the band comes forward. We're gonna sing today, but before we sing, um, I just want you to think about those points today. That more than your circumstances, he wants to heal your heart. You might be going through a difficult circumstance, believer, because he's trying to get you to a place where where he gets all of your heart. The Spirit shows that to you today. Just give it to him. Others, is Jesus is aggressive with his grace. I mean, some of you are like, man... <clears throat> I know for me for a long time, I thought Jesus was begrudging with his grace. It's just not true. He's aggressive with it. Just receive it today. He loves you. And the last thing is remember that the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed in your life is that he forgave your sin if you're a believer here today. And so, man, if he can do that, he can do the other stuff. Come to him with that kind of faith. If you're here and you, you're not a believer and today as, you're, as I'm, I was talking, you just sort of encountered the beauty of Christ. You're like, oh, okay, I get it. And the best way you know how, just offer him your heart. The story shows us he sees it. He'll change you. And then make sure you let somebody know. Father, we love you. I thank you for your beauty. Gosh, I love you. This I love your heart. I love your way. God, there's no one like you. There's no one like you. I thank you for times in my life when I read the Bible and I'm like, that's why I follow Jesus. So good for me this week. I pray that we would live in light of it and that you love us. And God, it's just an honor today to worship you and to pour our hearts out to you in song. Pray there be a sweet sound in your ears today. In Jesus' name, amen.